Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Hello. Any exciting plans this week? Um, well, I'm excited. I'm excited to be at Gig City next week. Uh, me too, and scared. Um, well, <laughs> I'm also uh, speaking. We all are. Yeah, but I didn't realize that I was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Until like today? <laughs> Until like two days ago. Oh, no. <laughs> well, because I knew that they had talked to, I don't think, I think it was just, I think it was, um, I just misunderstood. I knew we were doing a panel and I knew you guys were speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that I was also speaking. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it's great. I'm very excited. <laughs> It's going to be did, really fun. Did you agree to something and then forget? No, 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 no. Remember I talked to you a while ago, I think a long time ago about like maybe, and I think I forgot about it again. I think it was a misunderstanding. I had talked to you at the very beginning about like suggesting a talk that me and Hannah had given. And you had mentioned that you thought that all the speakers maybe were set or that they had already reached out to folks. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Whatever. I don't care. They are doing a great job. Um, and so I just didn't do anything about it. And then I didn't, thought I was just going to be part of the panel. Um, and then Maggie was like, when do you want your speaking slot? And I was like, oh. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Cool. Um, That's all again, right. I think, it was, I think they were doing all the right things. I think it was just a misunderstanding on my part. You just got to do what I do. Which is? I, they, they asked me if I would speak. I said, sure. They said, how long? how long do you want it to be? And I said, I don't know, maybe let's, let's just go for a short one. We'll do 20 minutes. And then I spent, I sat down and I spent 10 minutes writing the whole thing and I'm done. You're done. Yeah. 10 minutes. That's all it takes. Right. Aren't you excited to hear my talk? <laughs> so stoked. Yeah. But I'm excited. I think they're doing a great job. I'm excited to be at the conference. I think it's going to be great. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, pretty excited I, it's so close hey was it next week i guess when this yep. releases we'll be at the conference but uh-huh. or the day before the conference conference thursday friday friday saturday friday saturday i also Fridays. had to fix my flights because i made that mistake oh no because no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so- well, I'm so used to conferences being i just have had a lot going on and so again my mistake like i'm so used to conferences being uh, Thursday, Friday, and I actually think it's great that it's Friday, Saturday because it makes it more accessible yeah, for folks I, that can't take time off. Um, I like it sometimes. Um, I also have friends who have stopped going to Strange Loop because Strange Loop changed to Friday, Saturday. I like that. I like that though because I mean, I get for people, certain people, it's harder to travel on a Saturday, but then for folks that can't take time off work, right? It does make it a lot more accessible. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on where you are in life and maybe where your family is. If you have a family, a lot of times if you have kids that are normally off to school, then maybe don't want to miss them on Saturday or it's hard to do. I mean, yes, that's true. Or conferences would offer like childcare or whatever. Like when we do all of our rails bridge, elixir bridge, all those workshops are on weekends for that reason to make it more accessible. Mm -hmm. And we offer childcare for that reason. Nice. Um, uh, But yeah, I'm excited. It's always fun to go visit Chattanooga. Um, it's a very cool place. I heard they well, have three, great three tickets left this morning. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's rad. They're yeah. doing such a good job. I'm so excited. So it should be, it should be pretty packed and, and I'm, there's just great talks that I'm looking forward to. Uh, Stu Holloway again. I really want yeah, to hear he's him great. speak this time, hopefully. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. 
I'm also bringing a bunch of uh, EEF stickers. Nice. Um, and uh, setting up a table for that. And oh, that's nice of you. Should be good. Should be good. Um, what else has been going on? Um, I've been working a lot on deployments. Oh, how's actually, that going? and builds. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Um, so we're currently using eDeliver and Distillery to do mm-hmm. releases. Uh-huh. And there there's been it it takes forever to build. We're doing it on a on a local VM when we do build for production. And there was a lot of push to maybe try to use the uh built-in elixir releases instead of distillery. And eDeliver was is not set up for what we're doing. We have lots of umbrella apps with lots of releases underneath those umbrella apps. Mm-hmm. And distillery made that a little bit um tough i think uh not distillery um e-deliver it 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 just doesn't it seems to be really good at just straightforward deployments and then there's a whole lot of customization to do anything outside of that that Mm -hmm. was a little bit painful so Mm -hmm. i we just started rewriting uh the way that deployments work and using the built-in release um so what did you do uh, well, first, uh, we still have the distillery and e-deliver mm-hmm. there and can still uh, create releases that way. But I just sat down with the release documentation and started building uh, a release with the the built-in mix release and mm-hmm. making some custom tasks. There's there's a way that you can do steps. You can add steps to your How do you do that? build. Um, so when, whenever you configure, um, there, there's a a key in the configuration called steps and you can pass in a, um, a function that takes in one argument and that argument is the, uh, release struct, mixed release struct, which has Mm -hmm. a bunch of information that you can use in it and it has to return, uh, a a release struct Mm -hmm. out of, out of it. And then you just put them in order and then there's one step called assemble that uh, actually builds everything. So you have to make sure that you have a symbol in there that says a symbol. Mm-hmm. And then you just move move forward with that that way. And so I have steps for going through and building, um, d- doing an NPM install and and a Phoenix Digest and... Um, an NPM install? Yeah, yeah, for uh, assets and stuff like that. Oh, got the, it, okay. In the um, building up the JavaScript and everything. Okay. Um, the other nice thing about that is it was really easy to... The, we actually have three different projects that have node stuff in there that needs to get built with NPM. Mm-hmm. And so before with eDeliver, those were happening one at a time in a row. Uh, it was, which I guess we could have backgrounded them um, pretty simply, but then there, there was a lot of stuff going on there. So what I was able to do is just throw that into a task and then spin off three tasks and then do a task, a task await many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it parallelized all that and took them from oh, nice. like a minute each to a minute altogether. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was pretty nice. And some of the default stuff, like leaving the debug information out of the beam whenever you build a release, changed our releases from 101 megs to 19 megs. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. At first I thought I did something wrong. 
Um, that is awesome. And, and it, it builds faster because of that. You know, one thing that I did have to do, uh, eDeliver automatically packages it as a tarball. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that myself, but it was pretty easy. I just used Erlatar, um, the Erlang library. Mm-hmm. Uh, just remember to co- convert all the file names into um, character lists instead of binary strings, and mm-hmm. and it worked out great. So now the next step is to take that and actually make a a deploy that will will push that out. Mm-hmm. And right now, I just drop it into the exact same place that eDeliver drops it. And so eDeliver can still be used for deployment. I just don't Mm -hmm. use it for building anymore. Mm -hmm. And is the goal to keep doing that? Or are you going to try and figure out another way to do the deployment? I think we're going to try to figure out another way to do the deployment. Do you have any current thoughts around that? So I've actually suggested using Capistrano. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Um, I I think that it's pretty good for orchestrating uh, build pipelines and, and, things like that. So I think that Capistrano could be pretty useful. It's got a lot of stuff built in just to talk to servers and transfer files around. And I find it easy to look at. And a lot of the people on the team have done Rails before and used mm-hmm. Capistrano. So mm-hmm. it's it's pretty simple for them to to jump in and work on. Right. It's because really all we need it for is orchestrating moving files around and then running a couple, like a shell command to say start it up. Right. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, the the other thing that I ran into that I thought was really cool with the built-in releases, and there may be a way to do this in eDeliver, I just don't know, is there is a shell file that mm-hmm. um, is generated with, uh, it's an EEX template, and it gets the uh, release struct, so you can use stuff from the release struct to build the shell file. Mm-hmm. And you can put in commands to like copy files around or move them around or whatever that whenever you start your application, it'll run those commands. Mm-hmm. So that that's... That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really good for moving around configuration and stuff that's required. And I and runtime configuration seems really nice. Right now we're using Toml. Mm-hmm. I haven't used that. It's not bad. So the, our biggest thing is that we have to do some special stuff with Toml because we have all these umbrella projects and they have their own configurations underneath and, and we roll them up into one um mm-hmm. toml file the thing that i haven't liked about toml is it doesn't look like the elixir you have to do some translation in there but the new releases in one nine have a configuration just exs file it looks just like any other mixed configuration mm-hmm. file and if you drop it in the right place on the server it it will at runtime whenever you start it up will load those over top of any of the defaults that you have which is great when you have a lot of servers and that's our right. our big thing. So yeah, I thought about Capistrano. Some people talked about shell scripts. We might just continue to use eDeliver to to push it. Not sure yet. Is there anything, given that you're trying to do some new, de- this deployment stuff, is there anything that you're like, oh, I wish there was something that would do this? Well, um, not really. I guess my, my biggest complaint about eDeliver is that it uses your local Git repository. Um, your local .git folder uh, to do all the pushing and moving around. So you have to have everything local. And it also means that your eDeliver has to live in the same folder or same project as your code. And we have multiple projects that all really work the same way for delivery. 
And so I would like to have a separate repository just for the delivery script, which is what mm-hmm. I like about Capistrano is I can have a completely separate repository to deal with delivery. And that means that it can be versioned by itself too. So we that can update sense. how we deploy where right now, like if I, if I update master and then somebody has a branch and they wanted to put staging and we've had to change something, they would have to check out master to, to then Five. deploy or merge master in and it, and yeah. you, you miss stuff every once in a while. Right. Just people are going to miss that stuff. So uh, th- that's frustrating. And it's hard to test new deployment sometimes. And it's really hard to tell at times for, from what I've recognized with working with people is that it's hard to tell what code is running on your local machine when you're deploying and what code is running on the remote machine. Mm, interesting. And I think that's a little simpler to tell in Capistrano. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and what needs to be, what's running on, it's the stuff that's running on the remote machine, I think a lot of that comes out of whatever branch you checked out. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Right. Where it the stuff you're running locally comes from whichever branch Whichever branch you're checked out, the stuff that's running remotely comes from whatever branch you're pushing. Pushing, yeah. I, th- I think. And that makes it a little hard to. So I would oh, rather just have slight, a separate project. Slightly more error prone, yeah. Well, that's cool that you are getting to dig into some of that stuff. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to, I haven't done much with the deployment process in a long time. Um, How do you feel like it's improved? For Elixir? I don't, I don't know. I, cause I used eDeliver on the other stuff that oh. I, I worked with, uh, but it was, it was a lot simpler. It was one project, not an umbrella project that, that went out. I do think that I have a better understanding of the build process now. Mm-hmm. And, and I do like the runtime configuration stuff that's built in. I think that has improved and, and gives people a place to deal with runtime versus compile time configuration instead of we used to have a lot of hacks right around all over the place and every library worked differently and now you can just you you just create something that looks exactly like your compile time configuration and and drop it in the right place on the server and it'll read it for runtime it's been a while since i've had to dig into deployment stuff yeah yeah It, it seems like a lot of that was is taken away with containers and things for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They just build it in the container and move on. The the other thing that uh, I've had trouble with is release stores. So like if you want to be able to roll back and move forward, there there's not anything that's built in for that. Right. Uh, and and that's the other thing that I like about Capistrano is you can have roll. There's rollback built in. If it fails, you can have it roll back automatically. But release stores. Uh, differentiating between like where I'm going to store compiled stuff for staging versus production because I, they, they might be different. Like in staging, I might want to push small PR stuff just to test it mm-hmm. where in production, I'm not going to do that. Right. And it starts to fill up that, that store. And I don't want production for me to have to think, Oh, am I, which one of these should I roll back to when I do have to do it by hand? Yeah. I wonder what, what could be what would what you would like to see about that? Um, I I just I think multiple stores. The big problem is whenever you build, uh, we we still use prod configuration for our build, but even if we're going to staging and it's the deploy that's different, 
So there's nothing that says I'm building this for staging right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that I think I'm going to we're going to get around that either by using a branch name as mm-hmm. like a you, know, you do the simver and then a dash and you can add whatever you want to the end um, mm-hmm. to add the branch name for any of the um, PR ones and then just use multiple stores. But I think that'll take some time. And, and that's the thing that I think Capistrano will have missing is because it's not used to having to build releases and it's set up to roll back with releases stored on the same machine and, and it's really set up to be work, worked with rails. So right. I don't, I don't know how easy that'll be. It'll be interesting. I'm curious to hear how that goes. Um, so what are you talking about at the conference? I, I would be excited to hear how that Capistrano thing goes. Yeah, I, I think it will be, um, it'll be good. We'll, we'll see. And, and hopefully it won't take a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, right. we'll either know right away whether it's going to work or, or, or not. Or not. Yeah. Hopefully. Sure. Um, so what did you decide to talk about at the conference? Uh, thinking is greater than typing. Meaning? Uh, I mean, I know so, what you mean. But so, like, well, I mean, well, like earlier when I said are. that I, I started my talk immediately and wrote the whole thing in, in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I didn't spend any time thinking about it. That doesn't make people excited to want to hear my talk. But I think we often do that when we write software. Uh, we pull a ticket down off the board and we st- try to get to typing as quickly as possible. And then, so the talk is a little bit about there, there will be very, there will be a, a small um, start where I talk about why I think that's a problem, but then it's, it's really about thinking and different ways to think, mm-hmm. um, diffuse mode and focus mode thinking, and and I've been reading all kinds of books <laughs> about oh, yeah. this. Yeah, since I started, I've I've read uh, Darwin on Man, which is a, a psychology book about scientific thinking, pragmatic thinking and learning. Uh, Barbara Oakley book called A Mind for Numbers, a Pomodoro Technique book. Uh, I've been, been reading all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so what is like one of the big takeaways you've gotten from all this reading about thinking? Uh, so focus mode and diffuse mode thinking uh, or L mode and R mode as as I think it's called in a lot of other things. I, I like the idea of focus and diffuse. It, it's easier for me to understand. So focus mode is very linear and it takes up a lot of your brain power. Whenever you're you're working in that mode, it's really hard for you to, to, it, it to get out of that mode. That's the part of your brain mm-hmm. that wants to be active all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, diffuse mode is like when you're standing in the shower and something just pops into your head. And then how do we uh, get those two modes working together on a problem? Some of the the really like just getting up and going on a walk, read the problem, read the story, ticket, what, whatever you want to call it, and then just get up and go on a walk or sit down and write about it. That That is one way. Metaphors are a really great way that combine both that creative diffuse mode thinking and the linear mode. It forces mm-hmm. those to work together. Um Especially if you can come up with like some weird metaphor, like if you just pick a random noun or something at random and then try to make a metaphor out of that for your project or, or your ticket that you're working on and might be amazed at some of the things that come out of that. Oh, interesting. Um, and then pairing is actually a great way to get the two working together because like I said, it's really hard for the linear um, and, and nonlinear with the focus and diffuse modes to switch. 
mm-hmm. back and forth. So when you're why par- is that why is that hard for our brains? Uh, your brain can really only do one of them at a time, for the mm-hmm. most part, and uh, I'm not sure exactly why. Like there's study after study that shows that it's true, but I think our brain is such a black box that we're we're not 100 percent on anything that happens in there. Uh, right. It it just seems to take all of your your brain power when you get into linear mode. And actually, like when people talk about getting in the flow or heads down programming, they're in that linear mode and they lose a little bit of the creative. Hopefully they have a little bit of the creative ahead of time that, that picks the right abstractions and all they're doing is implementing. But whenever you're typing, you're very much in that linear mode. Interesting. Which is why pairing works really well is because if you have one person typing, you have another person sitting there and they're they're talking at more of an abstract level it allows their brain to work at that abstract level and i don't know if you've ever had the experience but i have where the person who's not typing sees some kind of uh duplication or abstraction that's there and says hey wait we're, we're doing this over uh we have it on both of those and it doesn't look the same to me as i'm typing and i'm like no they're right. they're different and it, and a lot of that is just their their brain is allowed to wander a little bit more right. and and, yeah. and process things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, your diffuse mode can make big leaps from like very disparate topics. That's why metaphor works pretty well to bring those two together. Where linear mode is is not. It's very task oriented. So those Got those it. are the biggest things, and a little bit of um, actually, I think this is going to be funny for a lot of people who are pushed back about process is that process is actually a great way to do that and to trick your brain because if you focus on the process instead of the task at hand it allows you to trick your brain into doing that it's it's, uh, and especially if you have a daunting task that's why pomodoros work really well is that Mm. you start to focus on the process instead of on the daunting task which allows your brain to work a little more freely that's cool i'm excited to hear it yeah, hopefully I can jam all that into 20 minutes. <laughs> that's a lot in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, that's been my my biggest hurdle. But um, when they asked me how long it wanted to be, I was like, well, I'm, I'm talking about thinking. And so the quote popped into my head of, I was going to write you a long letter, but I, or a short letter, but I didn't have time, so I wrote you a long one. Oh, yeah. And exactly. so that popped into my head, and I was like, well, if I'm talking about thinking... And I and spending some time on it, I should be able to do this in the short one. And now I'm I've been <laughs> trimming and pulling and regretting and overwhelmed by it. Being, All the normal things that you do when you're preparing for a talk. Yep, yep. Maybe I should focus on the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I often am like, okay, well, what's the story that I'm? Because you know, I think when you're writing at first, when you, when you first start like iterating over something, or at least yeah, when I first started iterating over something. It is. You're like, oh, all of this stuff is so important, and I want to say all the things, and like they all make sense, and whatever. Don't know what to remove, and then I start thinking about like, well, what, what am I? What is the, what is the arc of this story, right? Like, what is the story that I'm? Because that's ultimately how I feel about all the talks I give. I'm like, there's a story that I'm trying to tell, mm-hmm. with some kind of message that I'm trying to deliver at the end. So like, what story am I trying to tell, and why am I trying to tell it? Um, and what are the things that I'm saying that actually support that that arc, and what, and then everything else just doesn't matter. Yeah, it, and I've been trying to think more about that. I don't think I'm. I've been great at that in the past. Mm-hmm. Whenever it comes to speaking, is um, I, I feel often that my story is jammed in there, unless the talk is only really my story. Um, right. 
So I, I've been thinking a lot about that with this talk. And uh, I actually think that the creating the talk is the story of the talk. Mm-hmm. Because I, That's fair. I have to go through all those thinking processes mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely some larger abstractions that could be taken away from a talk like that that aren't just um, specific to programming, right? Yeah. That's cool. I don't know. We'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. I feel like I'm better at be conversation great. than I am at standing up on a stage. No, so. you did great last time. Last time there was lightning involved. Like. <laughs> awesome i thought about just doing that one again <laughs> i mean that's a crowd pleaser for sure <laughs> and i'd probably be better at it this time <laughs> it's always better like i feel like especially for people who are first-time speakers they're like they see these things. sometimes you see a talk and you're like that is talk is an is amazing and not that there are people there are definitely people who are very talented speakers who give a talk for the first time and it's amazing but chances are they've been speaking for a very long time or that is not the first time they have given that talk right <laughs> So speaking of um, great speakers, what is what is your talk on? Girl, do, you, do, you, do you know I yet? Call since you just a found great speaker. out. Yeah, I think I am going to do a talk. Um, it's I, we. I think uh, I gave it uh, at Codebeam last year in San Francisco, um, comparing the concurrency paradigms between Go and Elixir. I gave it with my coworker Hannah. Oh, nice. Um, and this time I'm going to give it myself, but also cut it down from a 40 minute talk to a 20 minute talk. Oh, you're doing that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with the talk, so I think it'll be interesting. I think the thing that is hard about, I think the thing that'll, that will, will have to happen is it will have to be less in the details um, and more high level because there just is not time in order for it to make sense with the story arc. Um, so it'll just have to be a little bit more high level. Um and I won't be able to give quite as many examples that we ran through before, um, but I think it'll still be it'll still be useful, hopefully. Um, so, can you give a a little high level of of the differences between the concurrency models in them? Like maybe the biggest I mean, one. I mean, the biggest one is I mean the actor model, right? That we use, right? And then. Um, in Go. Hold on, sorry, my microphone. I I'm serious. I'm gonna send you a screwdriver so you can just tighten all the bolts on those. So yeah. so what's the? Sorry, one second. That's okay. Um, oh, so it's basically comparing. Like, I mean, the big thing we're talking about is like the out kind of compare. Like, you can do similar things, but they have strengths and weaknesses, right? Because it's like the actor model versus communicating versus CSP, right? Communicating sequential processes. So it's just how they go about things are different, right? And the interesting thing to us when we were writing this talk is actually they were built, I think when you start thinking about why they do things the way they do, um, is that they were actually built for very different things. Erlang was actually, Elixir now, but Erlang was actually built for physical systems that needed to communicate over, like physical real life systems that needed to communicate over large distances, right? Um, And Go was a language built by programmers to try and be a systems language to replace C essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So they were actually built for very different things. Um, And then it's interesting to keep that in mind as you think about like the way they allow for this concurrency paradigm to play out and and where you get to leverage the benefits in each language and why. 
the talk doesn't say one is better than the other. It's not like versus really. It's more like an understanding of both models and why you might want to use one over the other in certain circumstances. So yeah, I have to figure out exactly which pieces of it I'm going to give. Um, That's that sounds pretty interesting to me though. Like <laughs> I I know very little about Go's concurrency model. I've played with Go. I just have to tell everybody. Anna's microphone slowly sinks down. <laughs> and and she's so professional that while she was just talking a minute ago and it was slowly sinking down, I purposely slowly sank down with it. <laughs> and she just kept going like I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Um, so go I I've done a little bit of go, like just played around with it. Um mm-hmm. and personally didn't get very excited by syntax or just basic how functions work and so i didn't go back to it and i had no reason to like it was just side work it was not any active work that i was doing um so i'm I'm excited to see the differences i i have heard that the scheduler works differently Um, yes it does let me talk a little bit about that okay so uh yeah i mean i've been working more with go these days and I think it's interesting that you can get similar, not not dissimilarly to Elixir. You can get up and running really quickly. It is a smaller language. Um, so you can become productive really quickly without leveraging any of the concurrency paradigms, which I think is similar to Elixir, right? You can do a lot of stuff and never really use OTP um, or never really leverage it to its full capacity. But I think in certain instances, you just have to, it's harder to do more complex things in Go than I think it, for me at least, than I think it is an elixir. Mm-hmm. Just because of the nature of the language and what it provides for you. Yeah, but I'm excited. So, Big City's going to be fun. So are you enjoying Go? Um, I think not as much as I enjoy elixir. Um, I think it's fine. Why is that? Um, just the syntax, right? And you actually have to write more code, right? There's just less syntactic sugar. It's like less pleasant to write. Again, it's a smaller language, so there's just less in it. Mm-hmm. So you have to do a lot more writing to get to essentially implement the things that you want to implement. But for the current use case, like we're building something that we need to deploy on somebody else's system and it needs to be a binary that can just run without anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder. I was trying to make the case for Elixir, but then we also would need to run the VM Erlang VM. Right. So, well, so, so if you package them as releases, you don't need mm-hmm. to have Erlang or Elixir installed on the, it's true, but you still need to have, it's just a, another layer of, there's something else that needs to be running. We're trying to make them as small as possible. Okay. Okay. Um, it has to be tiny. Mm-hmm. So does Go, so I looked at Go a long time ago. Is it still mm-hmm. not really have exceptions? Um, what do you mean? Like there, you have to pass in like a, a list and have it return you a list of like air codes and like, is it no, back it like does. C? Okay. No, it does. It does. It does have exceptions. It's just like the patterns to handle them aren't great in Go. Okay. You basically are checking all over the place if there's an error. And if there's an error, okay. you're like, if error is not nil, do something. Yeah, that's 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 kind of why I walked away from it. <laughs> when I started looking at it, I was like, oh, this is C all over again. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I thought I liked C. Right. And then I went back and wrote it again. <laughs> So it's not bad. I mean, I don't hate it as much as I think some people hate it. Um, it's useful. You can be productive quickly. I like Elixir more. 
Um, but it's interesting. The adoption story of Go has been really strong. We're seeing a lot of clients use Go. Hmm. I wonder, do you know what's driving them there? No, I mean, it's different for every client. I think some people are already starting to have already had it in their system or had it in their services when they come to us. Um, but I think a lot of it is like uh, for small things like this, it's easy. It's really easy to just, it's really small. It's really easy to run, right? It can run on anything. Um, it's a simple, it's a small language. There aren't as many guardrails, like, right? So you could do the wrong thing and really screw yourself. But I think... Yeah, there seems to be just the ease of, there's like the deployment story. There is no deployment story, right? Like you compile it and then run it. And then, and the tooling is actually pretty good around all that stuff for Go. Um, so, so yeah. We'll have to, maybe I'll look at it again sometime after your talk. Cause I don't, oh, I don't, I don't think that I can look at it again without some more clarity. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So I know that you had had a hard stop here in a little bit, but I, I wanted to ask you as far as gig city goes, is there any person speaking that in particular you are really excited about seeing? I mean, Stu Holloway is great. Um, he's always great. Um, but no, I think the list of speakers is really, I mean, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about everybody else. I <laughs> didn't even realize I was speaking. Until it's two days it's ago. okay. You can be proud of yourself too. Um, no, but I think they, I think that, that Bruce and Maggie and everybody just, they just do a really good job. It's a really great conference. Mm -hmm. I think the talks last time were great. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what everyone's talking about this year. It's a really fun conference. Um, I think everyone's really thoughtful in what they bring up on stage. And so I am genuinely excited about participating. And and I know he's not here, but did you hear that Keith Lee has the final keynote mm -hmm. of the conference? Yes. Good. You know, I saw that. I was excited <laughs> for him. So yeah, I'm 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 excited to see what he puts together because I imagine he won't be doing his Elixir Conf talk again. He might. No, he but, might, but like I think he and I think that it'll be good. He has some good thoughts. Um I'm excited that he has the opportunity to do that, actually. Um, I think he is somebody who really cares about the community and he really cares about the language and he really cares about like how we can do things better mm -hmm. and puts a lot of t his own personal time and effort into those things. And so I'm excited to kind of see what he has to say. Yeah, me too. I'm, I keep trying to pry and get some information from him. Is yeah. he keeping it on lockdown? Uh, I don't know if he's keeping it in lockdown or if he's still got so many things in the air that he's not not 100% sure. He might not be 100% sure. Yeah. He still has time. But he might also just be keeping it on lockdown. He's pretty good at hiding that stuff. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see Ricardo. Um, I thought he gave a pretty good talk um, at uh, Lone Star. And nice. just like the whole the whole group of people and, and Martine coming coming to the States and hanging out. He's always riot. Whether he's on stage or, or just hanging out at the playing board games, he's a whole lot of fun. That's awesome. So I'm excited. And I'm excited to get to see you in person. It's always so fun. Yes. We'll have to get a picture again. Sounds good. We got, we got the one from last year, so we'll just make it a yearly thing. Hopefully. Love it. <laughs> and, uh, I saw also my company is sponsoring binary noggin oh, yeah. and your company carbon five is sponsoring. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's pretty amazing. And, uh, um, I, I just, not because I'm doing it cause I am, but I would just like to point out the diversity advocate sponsors who donated tickets for, 
oh, uh, yeah. diversity. Um, Stu Holloway, Doyle Turner, and myself, we uh, donated some tickets. And um, I just I just want to thank the people that are that are putting that money out there because it's important. That is rad. I very, very, very much appreciate all the people that are doing that. It makes a big difference. And and thank you for Bruce and Maggie for making sure that they have something like that set up. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bruce and Maggie are doing an incredible job. Awesome. Well, I know you got to go. I got to go too. Uh, All right. I've already, I already had a kid down here whenever we were locked off, uh, locked off. That's terrible term. Whenever we broke up there for a little bit with the internet connection, asking me to log them in to a laptop. So thanks, Anna. Have a wonderful day. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye.